You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. All right. So this is on spiritual climates, and uh, this there are going to be uh, several uh, messages that talk about spiritual climates. And the first thing is, Christians, I want you to know there indeed are spiritual climates. Uh, in the first service, I asked uh, those who, uh, and throughout certain climates that people maybe liked or would go to certain uh, maybe locations, like for myself, I was born in Chicago, but I don't like cold weather. Uh, I don't like, I remember the blizzard of 1979, and of course, I like the snow, but I like the snow just for a moment. Ski in and then get into the lodge by the fireplace. Then go back out only for about a half hour to get back in again to warm back up because I don't like the cold. And so when we moved from Chicago, uh, we moved to a place called Phoenix, Arizona, the Valley of the Sun. And I don't know about you. I asked with a show of hand how many liked the desert. It was like me and one other person. So uh, I jokingly say I must be a desert rat because I always liked the desert. How many people can I see with a show of hands? How many like the desert? Oh, so we got a few more. You guys are desert rats with me. So you like the desert. Yeah, she's a, my wife says she's not a rat, but she likes the desert. So you're a desert flower, honey. <laughs> How many like the mountains? Oh, yeah. So in first service, it was the same thing. It was like most of the people. Hence, that's why you live here with the Santa Cruz Mountain, those that are around us. Amen. How many like the snow? So we got a lot of, you like the snow in the mountains. Yes, in the mountains. So how many like uh, hot weather? How many like a show? Okay. How many like cold weather? So I would say that's pretty much even right down the middle. How many enjoy Santa Cruz? Just temperate, right? Yeah. All right. Except for the rain. That's right. How many like the tropics? How many like the tropics? Raise your hand. How many have not been to the tropics? Oh, so a few of you, you need to come with us. All right, hallelujah. <laughs> I've been to various uh, climates of the nations, and how many know that, uh, you know, sometimes when we go on vacations, we want to go to a certain type of a, a, a tropical location. For example, some of us on vacation, we go, oh, we want to go to Maui or to Kauai or whatever uh, the said places that we like to go. Sometimes we go to the place in which we like certain type of climates, and so just as in natural, there is a certain topography as well as microclimates and climates, you need to know that in the spirit, there are actually also spiritual climates. And so I want you to write this down because there's this principle that I'm going to outline throughout this series that I want to show you is that spiritual climates are determined by your heart attitude. In other words, you determine the climate that you are a part of. You know, oftentimes when we're talking about climates, the only thing you can do is prepare for those climates. For example, when we know, according to the weather forecast, that there's going to be a rain. How many know we don't go in our board shorts and sandals outside with a, with a tank top on? I mean, unless you're Henry, maybe you do that. I don't know. <laughs> right? Some of you do that. Some of you who are surfers are like, hey, it's a good time to go out there. But usually the only thing that you do is you prepare for the particular climate that you may go into. How many know that if you're up in Alaska, you're going to wear a parka and you're going to wear some, you know, big boots and maybe some earmuffs? I don't know, ladies, you might wear earmuffs or a hat. But how many know that in the middle of summertime, if you arrive 
at the airport in Phoenix, Arizona, dressed like that, you're going to be dressed inappropriately for the climate. Okay? And if you go in board shorts and in your, in January you fly into Anchorage, how many know you have not prepared yourself and are ignorant of the spiritual climate that you just engage with? And so in the natural, what we do is the only thing that we can do is not change spiritual climates. Of course you can if you're like Jesus Jr. and you can command certain things. And we believe that in here too. Come on, are you here? There have been times in which we've had outreaches and we're like, no rain in Jesus' name. And ironically enough, guess what? Sometimes no rain comes. And so we're glad when those things happen. But for the most part, what you, the only thing that you can do is prepare for a climate. But I want to tell you in the spirit in spiritual climates, you determine the climate that you are in. You're, you, you, are, you determine it by what you believe, as well as what you allow to dominate your life. And so it's very important that we understand this principle because I want you to be a people that carry a certain spiritual climate over your life. And you're the one who determines it. Not your neighbor, uh, not the media at large. You're the one who determines what you believe. I determine the climate that I live in. And so in the series of messages, we're going to talk about the spiritual climate really of heaven because God himself actually works in climates or in atmosphere, if I could use that terminology. Now, I know there may be some of those who are hostile and antagonistic towards the verbiage that I'm using, but I'm going to explain it to you, is that even Jesus in his own hometown, the Bible says that he could not do many mighty miracles. Why? Because of their unbelief. The Bible does not say that he would not do mighty miracles. That is to say that, no, I can do it, but I refuse to do it. No, that was not what the scripture says. It says he could not. Why? Because he bumped into a spiritual climate that was hostile to him. And how was it created? Through the belief system of those who he grew up with in that particular place called Nazareth. And so you are the one who determines the spiritual climate that you, uh, that you have around you. Okay? This is why even uh, as of recent, how many have heard of the Ashbury, uh, Asbury uh, kind of revival? I don't know where it's at right now. I'm, I'm not too much plugged into the media so much. But really, that's actually quite simple of how this came about. No matter what your stand on this, this is a bunch of students who wanted to seek God and stayed over, and even though the teacher said, you need to get the class, they said, no, we're going to stay here and seek God. So what was this? Expectancy. So here's the first part, and I'm not going to give you all of them because we have three parts that I'm going to show you that creates the spiritual environment or the spiritual climate that is around you, and the first one is this, expectation. Write that down, expectation. I don't see you writing. Expectation. My expectation determines the spiritual climate of whether God could move on my behalf or not. I'm the one who determines it. Just like in Nazareth, all those who are too familiar with Jesus had zero expectation that anything would happen. In fact, they had the opposite or the antithesis of that. They were like, oh, who is this guy? We know who he is. We grew up with him. We went to elementary school with him. He's nothing special about him. In fact, I got better grades in English class or in Hebrew class than he did. He's nothing special. I'm just as special as he am. And what did they do? They created a spiritual environment of uh, having no expectation because they were too familiar with him. And this is why familiarity breeds contempt. 
And this is also why oftentimes, uh, especially when we have special guest ministers who they themselves are pastors themselves, they love come preaching behind this pulpit because I always provoke our church as well as our leaders. This is the gift of God that this person uh, is. This is why when we have certain ministers, we'll say he has a missional or an apostolic grace upon him. This particular person, he has a prophetic grace upon them. Why am I stating those things? Because I want you to have an expectation of what they carry. We carry this, we carry this treasure in earthen vessel. But if you can't discern the treasure through the earthen vessel, then what happens is you'll have no expectation that you can receive from the treasures that's within those earthen vessels. And the problem is... The problem is, is in a weak spiritual climate of not having expectation, we recognize the earthen vessel, but we don't recognize the treasure therein. And this is why pastors will come and afterwards they they come with such excitement. Oh, pastor, that was so wonderful. I I, I moved in there and got words of knowledge and God was speaking to me and all these things. And I usually say, well, how much do you operate within your own church? Well... You know, what ends up happening is sometimes even in their own houses, there's a lack of expectation that God's going to do something in their own house. And how many know that his house is to be a house of glory? And so what happens is I've always, as a preacher, tried to provoke you to carry right expectations, not just in me, but in Christ first and foremost. It's not about a person that stands behind the pulpit. This is why we always have lots of new guests and we have house preachers that are coming because I don't want it to be built upon my personality or just my treasure in earthen vessel. I want you to be able to discern the treasure in earthen vessels and other preachers that are anointed by God and for you to adjust your heart to be able to receive and not be like those who are in Nazareth, like, okay, just tickle my ears. What do you got? Because in that type of an atmosphere, there's no expectation. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to take you on a journey, a missional journey, if you will, to look at the landscape of the expectation of the Hebrews during the time of John the Baptist. Jesus would have been 29, 30 years old, in which we see the ministry of John the Baptist begin to rise. And we will see that there was a great expectation that was created that God indeed was going to do something. And revival of what is termed as revival is usually created because of expectation. And unfortunately, many preachers have no earthly idea. They go, oh, thank God for this sovereign outreach. They always use that predicated. And I sit there and I think, it tells you don't know how revival comes because you just think it's sovereign and comes from heaven. It doesn't just come from heaven. It's because there's expectation that comes upon the people. This is the reason why that whole Ashbury, all of a sudden, what happens is a few kids are there. There's expectation. God begins to move. And then what happens? It begins to spread. Other people around the towns. Here, hey, God's doing something. And who ends up going there? It's usually not first the critics because the critics aren't concerned about it. It's not the Pharisees and the Sadducees within the religious system. Who ends up going? It's the people that are hungry. He who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, they shall be filled. Why? Because they've created a spiritual climate of belief that God is going to do something when they go to the place. So it's not about the location. Listen to me. It's not about the natural location. It's about the spiritual climate that the people carry at that location. God's willing to do that in the middle of Timbuktu if hearts are spiritually conditioned correctly to believe that he's going to do something in that place. 
But we always usually like to memorialize the place rather than understanding it was the conditions, the spiritual climate of people coming there. So all of a sudden, all over from the different nations of the world, people will start coming because they have a... You can hear it in their testimonies. I was just expecting. I don't know what was going on. But God, I was just expecting a touch from God. It's not all the critics. The critics usually come later. After it's gotten so big because of the hunger of the spiritual atmosphere or the spiritual climate of people that are hungry. And if you study revival, you'll know that when there was a great move of the spirit, there was always a spiritual climate of what? Expectation. So this is what I want to provoke you so that you see these things because God has great things in store for you. Some of you just don't see it because you've been under a spiritual climate that is incorrect and it's what culture is saying and what popular culture is saying, not what God says. And so you've been mystified by wrong news, not good news. Oh, come on. Are you here? So let's go into this. So the climate of what? Expectation. And I'm going to get in this series, we're going to show you three different climates that you need to always need to be carrying around you. And again, you are the one who determines the climate that is around you, okay? And not to come under climates that are ungodly, but to bust through climates. That is your obligation, that you are the one that, I'm going to keep saying this, you are the one who determines the spiritual climate that you are part of. How many have ever uh, been, for example, maybe accidentally, I remember one time I was coming up from Southern California uh, from Bible College in Orange County, and I was running low on fumes of gas, and I remember I pulled off the uh, interstate, and I happened to, I, I don't know if it was Compton or what, but I was like, oh boy, I need to get some gas, but I don't like this environment right here. I was like, this white boy's in the wrong part of town. And you can kind of feel it. Come on, are you here? It's not just a cultural climate. What it, it's a spiritual climate that's there. How many know that there are different spiritual climates? How many know going downtown to Pacific Garden Mall, there's a certain type of spiritual climate that's there. Come on, are you here? It's a little bit different than walking downtown Los Gatos. There's a whole different spiritual climate that's there. You're all laughing because you know. You're not just bumping into natural climates. You're bumping into spiritual climates of what the people are carrying. You determine the climate that you carry. And whether you come under certain uh, climates or whether you bust through certain climates because of what you believe. This is why I always say there's always miracles that are coming by. You just don't recognize it because you're under the wrong spiritual climate. But the right spiritual climate that you choose to live in, there's always miracles that are going on. This is why people go, oh my God, there's miracles that are going. There's always miracles going. You're just under the wrong spiritual climate. And just as Jesus was a spiritual climate that moved, and he's the one who determined, of course, we see in his own hometown, there were obstacles to the spiritual climate in which it created a spiritual brazen heavens by which he wanted to help the people, but he couldn't. He was limited. Why? Because of the spiritual climate of Nazareth. And so traditionally here in Santa Cruz, we've been under a hard brazen heaven, a Nazareth-like of a type of spiritual climate, but that's changing in Jesus' name. Amen. I said, it's changing in Jesus' name. This shall be known as a place, not just a spiritism, but the spirit of God having movement and the spirit of God doing his work that he's wanted to release for quite a long time in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone says, so let's look at the conditions prior to when Jesus actually arrived because he walked on a road of an open heavens by which there was a spiritual climate of expectation. So it's found in the book of Mark chapter one, verse two and three. It says, I will send my messenger, say messenger, messenger. 
Notice this, it says, ahead of you who will prepare your way. So Jesus does not operate in a silo of his own ministry. We see that John the Baptist actually worked in tandem with knowing what Jesus was called to do. So he is a messenger or he is a forerunner. That is to say he went ahead. And it continues on. He's a voice of one calling in the what? In the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make paths straight or straight paths for him. Now you have to understand, excuse me. You have to understand that with Jesus, people recognize, number one, that John the Baptist was considered a great prophet. How many know you're not going to run out to the desert just to see something that you're not concerned, nor do you believe? So when they all came out, there was a great anticipation that, is this Elijah? Is he returned? Is he the one? And so they all came out with great expectation to the wilderness. And again, there was no, you know, uh, uh, air cons, there was no five-star, four-star, three-star hotels in which you can go out into the desert. You know, this would have been laborious in order to go out to the desert. It could be troublesome to go into journey. It would have been something that had to be seriously planned out in order to go where this prophet was at. What am I trying to say? That in this climate where you had this prophet, there was a great expectation Let's go hear what the prophet has to say. And as they went out, again, because just like all revival services, only those who have expectation that God is going to deal with them and God is going to speak to them, there was this revival type of a charge that there was that they're going to see not just a man, not just a man who's wearing funny clothing, not just a man who has grasshopper legs out of his mouth where he didn't floss his teeth. They went out, and despite all those things of earth and treasure, they went to go hear the treasure that was inside of the man. And they recognized and esteemed that this is a great prophet. We need to heed what he has to say. Could this indeed be Elijah? And so there was a great anticipation of recognizing who he was. This is in fulfillment of the scripture that we see. He who receives the prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. It doesn't say he who recognizes just someone who claims to be one, but receives them after the natural. This is why the Bible says no man, no, no man after the flesh. You have to know them after the spirit. And so oftentimes the problem is, is we recognize people after the flesh, but we don't recognize them by the spirit. We recognize them by the frailty of their flesh, but not by the treasure that resides on the inside of them. And so you can only receive that which you discern. And that which you discern will have a provocation by which you'll have expectancy. They did not just go out to see a man, even Jesus himself. What did you go out to see? A reed? In other words, something that's weak. No, they went out to go see a strong prophet who was speaking the word of the Lord. So there would have been a climate of expectation as they were bringing all their children out. As they begin to bring their, their family members and maybe even whole towns began to leave, there would have been a great expectation in which everyone was looking, what is going to be said? And there would have been this, prepare the way for the Lord. How great is this prophet? But he begins to speak that there's one who's going to come after me who's even greater than me. So there had to be this expectation, like, what's he going to, we got to see what he's saying. Oh, my goodness. John the Baptist, he's so powerful. He's a prophet of the Lord. He may be Elijah, and he's talking about, and we know he's so great. 
In fact, the scriptures even say that many thought, are you even the one? Can you imagine? They even think he's even potentially the Lord himself. So there would have been an atmosphere. There would have been a buzz of a great excitement by all those who came out. And yet we see on one particular occasion, it says the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out. In other words, a spiritual climate of unbelief. In other words, a spiritual climate, if you will, of a storm of unbelief started moving. And we see the great prophet. He begins to uh, denounce and said, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The apostle, the great, excuse me, apostle, the great prophet, John the Baptist, begins to challenge the spiritual climate that the Pharisees and the religious rulers that would have kept the people under fear. He begins to challenge that climate that's right there. This is why prophetic preaching is always different than pastoral preaching. Some of you use a pastoral preaching, but not prophetic preaching. Because pastoral preachings preach to the needs and the concerns of the people, but prophetic preaching preaches to the atmosphere of the heart mentalities and attitudes that people have. This is why some of you have to make an adjustment. I am not like my old pastor. I know. Thank God I'm not. No disrespect. No disrespect. But I'm not that person, and this isn't that house. We have a great saying in this house, you're free to enjoy the furniture of the house, you're just not permitted to move it. Oh, let's move on. Hallelujah. (laughs) Notice, prepare the way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for him. Do you think that this is natural paths he's talking about? No, these are the paths of your heart. This is why he was a preacher that challenged the spiritual climates, if you will, of the hearts of the people that came to him. And so you have to understand that there are paths, there are crooked paths in the heart of mankind due to sin, due to human depravity, due to unbelief, to criticisms, to complainings, all those things that you see that are of accordance to ungodly character. He began to preach against the climates that begin to create systems of unbelief by which the Lord is, it wants to bring his glory walking on a highway that is straight for him. That means hearts that have been prepared in like manner to be able to receive him. Sometimes we want the glory, but we fail to want him to make straight paths inside of our hearts. We like the crooked, perverted paths of our old lifestyle, but we also simultaneously want his glory. It does not work that way. Come on, are you here? All right, let's move on. It says this in Malachi chapter 3. Just so that you're aware, what we see here in Mark chapter 1 verse 2, this is actually a quoting of the Old Testament. Of course, those who went after John the Baptist, they would not have had Mark chapter 1. Come on, this canon of scripture, this particular record would not have been written yet. But they would have had the Old Testament. They would have had the record of Malachi as well as the book of Isaiah in which we see this particular quoting of this particular scripture. So we're going to go to the scriptures that they would have believed. We're going to the scriptures and begin to look through it even more fully to see why they would have had expectation when they went out to go see this prophet. And it says this in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. It says, I will send my messenger... Who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly, say then suddenly. suddenly. Now again, these Hebrew people, when they would have heard this quoted, they would have known from Malachi, the then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. So we see that the great John the Baptist 
is preaching that he is a messenger and that he's here to prepare the way. In other words, there's something great that is going to happen after me. And of course, they would have saw him and said, wow, you're really great. You're the one who's challenging the system and the status quo and that you're making the crooked path straight of our heart. You see, you have to understand, in addition to the spiritual climate that you carry, there is also just as there are natural topographies as well as microclimates within your heart. There is also a topography in which there are crooked paths that need to be made straight in order for the Lord to shine his glory within your life. This is why expectation is so important. And these are the things that we're going to deal with because we want the Lord to bring in an examination to our heart so that we can have right heart men, uh, uh, right heart and attitudes towards the Lord and have a shifting by which crooked paths or perverted paths are made straight so that we can experience the presence of God, not just see it from afar, but experience it ourselves. It's not sufficient to just, even as the scripture says, in which uh, 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 Israel saw the acts of God, but Moses knew his ways. I want you to know his ways. If under the Old Testament, that's how powerful the glory was, how much more powerful is it in this in, in, in this new covenant of grace. And everyone says. Amen. says, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's uh, uh, soap. So we see that this shows that when he is preparing the way, they would have known that coming behind on that path. There's one that's going to come what? He's going to appear who can endure his coming. He will be like what? A refiner's fire. And number two, what? A launder. So in other words, he's here to clean us up. Not the messenger himself, though the messenger is the one who brings a preparation This is why he called people out, because he's causing the crooked paths of men's heart to come into an alignment so that when Jesus would come, when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords would come, he would work in mighty uh, miracles because a spiritual climate was already prepared for him to come. And everyone says, we see furthermore in the book of Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. How many know the greatness is not the one who is actually preparing the way, but it's the Lord who's going to walk on the way. So how great was John the Baptist as a prophet? The revival that was occurring. People wanted to go here. They wanted to make themselves right with God. What is it that I'm listening to and I'm I'm coming into uh, compliance with what he's saying. I'm dealing with heart issues that are inside of me. And I'm willing to come and to repent and get myself right. So there was a great expectation, not just of John the Baptist, but there was a great expectation of what? That this Jesus who's come, notice, make straight the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. So notice again, do you think that the prophet is talking just about a natural topography? No, I tell you, he's talking about the spiritual topography of your heart. Every one of you within your heart have a topography. That which allows the glory of God to come into your life or that which resists it. Is your spiritual topography like that 
of those who are in Nazareth that were hostile towards the, uh, Jesus and familiarity. Did you, did the, do you have unbelief within your heart by which it resists the Lord, by which it resists a highway being made in your heart? Yeah, Only you're the one who can determine that. Mm-hmm. Is why we want to be a people that when he comes and he begins to bring, if you will, the spiritual agitators as well as the excavators to begin to lift and begin to raise and begin to, if you will, bring the bulldozers in and make a straight pace so that the Lord can come into your life. In our American charismatic evangelical circles, we all want the glory, but we're not willing to have our crooked paths made straight. Just show me the glory. Just show me the gift. Just give me my healing. And we have a generation that wants healing, but they don't want cleansing. I just tilted my hand of what's going to come in the following weeks. We're living in interesting times in which you can see an outbreak and an epidemic in which people are just coming, but they're coming to the Lord, but they're not willing to get rid of their crooked paths. They're not allowing the valley floors to come down and the mountains come down and all those things that are obstacles for the Lord moving in their life. It's not okay. Are you here? It says this, and and watch this. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. A rugged place is a plain. And, say and. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Another knows, notice what precedes before the coming of the glory of the Lord. These things must happen in order for the Lord of glory to come. This is why when you look at the Old Testament, glory did not just come upon a box. It came upon a box that was architected by God himself through the hands of Moses. How many know when they would have came out of Egypt, they would have saw temples and tabernacles. They would have seen with the pagan Egyptians and all the gods that they served, they would have known, well, we could build it this way or we could build it that way. But God doesn't architect according to your wrong mindsets and your philosophies of this world. When Moses went up into the cloud, which was his glory, that's where he received the plans on how to, and it would need to be constructed exactly the way God wanted to be constructed. God didn't go to all those who came out of Egypt because Egypt didn't come out of them. He wasn't concerned what they thought about how the church in the tabernacle should be built there. It was given to Moses, and he's the one who architected it. And the Bible says that, that when he architected it, when everything, uh, when he began to build it, after he completed everything that the Lord had commanded him, what happened? The glory came upon it. You see, God didn't just reconcile us unto himself. He reconciled us unto glory. This is why Romans chapter 3, verse 23, you know this. How all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are called to image his glory. So it's a reconciliation unto his glory. And so we see here that once he begins to deal with the heart of man and make and cause level places and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Could you imagine when you're listening to this preaching, the revival type of an atmosphere, an expectation like, wow, John the Baptist is great, but who is he who is coming? It's not just going to be another prophet. It's not going to be a pastor or just a man of God, not just a holy person. It's going to be God himself. The expectancy that had to be there had to be oh so powerful in this type of an atmosphere of expectation. And everyone says, I want us to look here in Psalms chapter 24. Lift up your heads, you gates. 
Be lifted up, you ancient doors. Watch this, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. How many know when Jesus came and he began to walk on those straightened paths that were formerly crooked? That How many know that's exactly what he did right here? What happened? He became strong and mighty in battle. This is the reason why as he went from town to town, casting out devils, healing the sick, it was a fulfillment of this which they already knew. So when they came from all around looking with great expectation, this is why Jesus, you'll find out with those who receive healing and they receive their deliverance, what was there? There was great expectation. Everyone that came to him, that's the reason why they cried out. There was great expectation that something was going to happen. You see, what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. You have to have hope. What is hope? An expectation that something good is going to happen. When I go out to see the prophet, I know something's going to happen. It's going to be, oh, yay, or oh, nay, uh uh-oh. I need to change. I was just called out on my junk and then my stuff, and I need to repent and get rid of it. But what is the undergirding? I'm expecting something to happen. Good, bad, or ugly, but I'm willing to change for the glory of God. Notice this, the Lord is strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. And that's precisely what Jesus did. Lift up your heads, you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. There was an expectation that when John the Baptist said, no, I'm not the one, but there's one who's coming soon after me in which I am not even worthy to be his base slave and untie his sandals. Imagine a revival service in which you're going to listen to a great prophet that many considered great as Elijah. And how many know to see Elijah would have been a great service? And here you have a man says, I'm not even worthy to be his slave. How many know that when they saw Jesus, there would have absolutely been a great revival type of a mentality, a climate of expectation. Now, I just, well, let's see what this preacher has to say. Let's see if his sermon tickles my ears. They would have been hanging on every, every word that came from his mouth. Why? Because they knew the Hebrew scriptures. They knew what the scriptures said about, and there would have been an expectation what's going to happen because we know that when he comes, even John the Baptist, the great John the Baptist says, I'm not even worthy to be a slave. So that when Jesus, the spotlight comes on him, everyone goes running to him. Did it just happen because he had a nice garment on? With long flowing hair looking like Lonnie Frisbee. No, it's because they believed the scripture. They believed something about him. Their hearts were already prepared with great expectation that something would happen. And it created that spiritual climate of expectation. And everyone says... Let's continue on. We're going to look at expectation in the book of Matthew, chapter 11. When John, this is John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. So we know this, that John, the great prophet, 
He's the one who said, the one who sent me is the one who said that when the Holy Spirit comes upon, he is the one. So he already acknowledged that Jesus is the king of glory. He noticed this is the greater one. And we see here that when John was in prison, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah and sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? They had an expectation. Jesus, wow! But then he hit. He was in prison. He was going through trials and tribulations. Thank God that he stood strong. Jesus tells John the Baptist's disciples, you go back and you tell them the blind see. Lepers are cleansed. Miracles are happening. Devils are coming out. And blessed is he who does not stumble on my behalf. So he must have been hearing mixed messages that was creating a spiritual climate that was antithesis to what he already knew in the very beginning as he was in tribulations. Thank God that John the Baptist stood strong to the very end, even to commit in his life of death for the cause of Christ. But we see here, expect what? No, you can expect me. I am indeed the one. And he stood strong to the very end. And everyone says. Now let's look at another one. This is in Luke chapter 8. Verse 40 to 42. It says, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd, what? Welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. The king of glory. The one that John the Baptist. We all went out there. We had a camping trip. Brought our whole family out there to hear this prophet. Just like the meetings of the Great Awakenings when they would go out and they would have these meetings out in the Appalachians. There was this great sense of revival. And so they go there and they're expecting, wow, he's come here. It wasn't like, who's this? Like the Samaritans, what? You're going to Jerusalem? No, you can't, have, you can't rent a hotel room here. Just keep, keep going along. And the disciples are like, can we call down fire on them? He's like, you know not what spirit you're of. Don't worry about it. Walk in forgiveness. Don't be complaining. Don't be vindictive. Be loving. Let's just move on. But we see here, they welcome him. Oh, he's here. The king of glory's here. The Messiah, he's here. Someone who is greater than just a prophet. Someone who's greater than just a man of God. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yes, we're welcoming. And and they were expecting him. So there was an atmosphere of expectation because of what they knew the scripture says. It says this, then a man named Jarius, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet. Notice what did he do? Fell at his feet, a posture of worship. Not like, preacher, pray for for my daughter, just, you need to do that now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fell at his feet and worship. Yeah. Good. Fell at his feet and worshiped. Wasn't just interested, firstly, in just receiving his healing. But he came to worship because at the place of worship is the place of your transformation. Yeah. Are you here? says it fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowd almost crushed him. Why do you think he was almost crushed? Because of the expectation. The expectation drawing the power of God. Even hereafter is where you have the woman with the issue of blood as they're being crushed. She goes, if I only touch the hem of his garment, the reason why miracles happen isn't because, oh, it's just sovereign. I don't know how it happened. (laughs) 
It was created because of expectation. This is why you always hear me. You're the one who creates your own altar call, not the preacher. By what you believe. Because of the heart. What's the climate of your heart? What is it that you believe? I stated in the very first service. I love this proverb. It's not a proverb in the scripture. It's a saying. It says, fate whispered to the warrior. You cannot withstand the storm. The warrior whispered back to fate. I am the storm. I love that statement because we're the one who creates the spiritual environment that we choose to live in. And oftentimes we live under spiritual climates of unbelief that come through popular culture, through our neighbors that are dysfunctional. And we sit there and we become uh, betwixt between what we believe and we often stand in the valley of indecision. And God does not walk upon the road of indecision, but those who are conclusive because they know what they believe. And he operates in spiritual climates of resolution. I believe you at your word. Faith isn't just one, two, three, and here are the points. It's a spirit that you get. There's a spirit of faith. There's an attitude of faith. And listen, you can't fake it. It's either in you or it's not. And so many people try to, no, it's in you or it's not by what you believe and everyone says. We see another one. This is, of course, in the gospel. But we see here in Acts chapter 3, in the church, says when he saw, this is a, 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 a crippled man at the temple, says when he saw Peter and John about to enter, it says he asked them for money. Watch this. He asked them for what? Did he ask them for a miracle? No. no. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So he captures his attention. So the man gave them his attention, expecting, expecting, it says to get something. Now he didn't know, he just said, I'm expecting something. And this is where commentators would say that Peter, as he was going to the temple, that Peter, being the great Peter that he is, in which he's leading, in which there are 3,000 people that have already come to the Lord by this time, he would have been a figure in Jerusalem that you could see. In other words, he would have probably like Jesus had to have his own security team around him. And so now we see he's going in there and he's expecting something. And we see that he carried Peter a spiritual climate of belief. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I can give you in the name of Jesus, arise. And he begins to release the power of God. Through what? Through someone who is actually expecting something. See the power of expectation that is there. Let's look at another atmosphere or a climate of expectation. How many know that when Peter was up on his rooftop, the Bible says he was praying and that he fell into a trance? How many recall that? He falls into a trance and, of course, he sees a sheet with a bunch of unclean animals. Now, of course, this uncleanness was what? Those that would come into Christ, those who are Gentiles. They were viewed as unclean. In fact, this is even what Peter himself, he doesn't want to go out. He's like, I've never touched anything unclean. So he still has Jewish mindsets that are tied to Old Testament paradigms. And so Jesus has opened up the way. This is why he said, go into all the world. Well, most of all the world is actually Gentiles that you consider unclean. 
So even Jesus still has to work with Peter with regards to his wrong mindset of not wanting to minister outside of his Jewish culture. So in a sense, he's kind of a racist. No, Lord, I'm not going to go. No, I'm not going to. And it takes him going into a trance in order for him to get into all the world. Now, there's a part where he went into Samaria, but he followed probably Jesus in the same way in which he ministers to Samaria. But again, what is God saying? He's trying to deal with a wrong mindset that caused him not to go into that place. And here's the beautiful thing. Simultaneously, while he is getting a word to go, we see that he himself... We see an angel show up with Cornelius. And how many know that Cornelius with his household, and he would have had slaves, and he would have had servants. He would have been a big household. He would have had a nice big home with a portico. There could have been up to 70 to 150 people that are there, up to 250. The size of this church, 250. It could be 300 people that were there. And he, with all of his servants, and the servants looking to the boss, and he would have heard the testimony of I was told to be sent by an angel. And this is what the angel said. And, and he would have been told about this man. How many know there would have been this great expectation? Well, who is this Peter guy? An angel shows up to go get this guy? Who is this Peter? He must be so powerful by which I have to go get this guy. So they would have all been hanging on the edge as soon as Peter came knocking on the door. Yes. Who is this guy? What's going to happen? This was divine intervention. There would have been an atmosphere of expectation. Anything could have happened. Not just, well, who is this guy knocking at the door? No one's home. I looked through the peephole. It looks like some guy. Boom, but let me in. No, we don't know who you are. Better get away. I got a home defense system. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. Something is going to happen. I had an encounter with the divine. I was told to go get this guy. There would have been a great expectation, just as there would have been a great expectation if you were in the meetings of John the Baptist in the wilderness with the expectation that Jesus is coming. So that when Peter comes in, there's already this revival type of a service because of the people's expectation. It wasn't something sovereign. It was architected by God himself. So that when he goes there, isn't it amazing? The Holy Ghost ends up interrupting Peter's sermon. Doesn't even get to the altar call. Anybody who want to get saved, just come forward. Repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, Jesus. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. I surrender to you. I surrender to you. I'll live for you. I'll live for you. Hijack my life. Hijack my life. Be the Lord of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Amen. Amen. Peter doesn't even get to the altar call. 
the altar call was created by the spiritual climate of the hearts of the close relatives of the people that were there. They created the altar call. So much so that the Bible says while he is speaking, didn't even get to the benediction. I said he didn't even get to the benediction. And all of a sudden the Holy Ghost and Peter is like, uh, 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 uh. And he sees what's happened. All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost comes upon them as they did in the very beginning in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, there at the day of Pentecost. Why? Expectation. Are you here? This is the power of expectation. God wants to do so much more, but the problem is, is we just don't believe Him and we carry wrong spiritual climates. And those spiritual climates have been created because of the nonsense that we believe. Through popular culture, through news, through dysfunctional sources of information, through things on social media you probably shouldn't be listening to, through television shows that influence your mindset concerning God, concerning all aspects of life. Listen to knuckleheads that you shouldn't be listening to. And you haven't, as Pastor Wendy said, been meditating day and night meditating day and night wherever there is expectation God is always there to answer it doesn't just come sovereignly from heaven you know what I'd like to do right now let me just demonstrate that for you expectation who has an expectation first person up here boom one person come up here been listening to the Freedom House podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, fhus.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time.